Hi there, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Do you have a homestead, farm, or just dream of a rural life? This is a show to help you and your kids grow your own food and grow as a person. I'm your host, Cody Hanner. I'm a homesteader, homeschool mama six, and small town enthusiast. I was raised by an old school rancher and blessed by the grace of God to have been exposed to so much of what rural life has to offer. Join me every week to talk about homesteading, homeschooling, and growth with a homestead education. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Today, I have Rachel Hester from Whoopsie Daisy Farm. I had the honor of meeting her in Tennessee at the Women's Homestead Conference. I probably have talked about that conference so much this year because it was so powerful for me, but it has come full circle, and now I get to have her on the podcast and have a wonderful chat. So hi, Rachel. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean... Okay. I'm going to start right off the bat. How'd you come up with whoopsie daisy farm? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So that shockingly, I get asked that a lot more than I ever thought I was going to be asked that. Um, so there is a singer called Toby Mac. He does Christian rap and he has this song called catch a fire. And the chorus goes, um, whoopsie daisy, call me crazy. So I'm going to catch a fire. And it's basically like, you know, if you're, if you're passionate about the Lord, everyone's going to think you're crazy, but you're a good kind of crazy. You want everyone to catch the vision kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. my husband and I were talking about starting a homestead and, uh, we're both type AAA personalities. So I was like, you know, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to like not get it right the first time, which Uh is really going to bother us. So, you know, we're just going to have to just be like, whoops, we made a whoopsie daisy and we just kind of keep going. And he's like, okay, well, we need like a, a obvious, you know, like reminder. So let's just call our farm whoopsie daisy farm. And I remember that song and I'm like, oh, and it's, we also want people to like catch the vision of homesteading. And, you know, we're like, this is such a dorky name for a farm, but whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it's our thought. It's our farm. We're going to just do it. And the feedback we've gotten on that name has been really, really good. Like my, my favorite was at HOA last year, there were these two, this couple from Austria, I think. And I handed them my business card and they're like, whoopsie daisy farm. Oh, whoopsie daisy. Oh, that we love this whoopsie daisy farm. And I'm like, can I put you in my pocket and just pull you out when I'm having a bad farm day? Just go whoopsie daisy farm. Stay brilliant. Um, But yeah, it's, it's very memorable apparently. So yeah, that's the, I love it. Uh, you know, well, and it, it leads to a conversation because like currently we call our ranch Cedar Ridge Ranch, mm-hmm. which is pretty, you know, but for me, my dad grew up in middle Tennessee and he hitchhiked out to California. And by the time I was born, he owned shipyards and a huge ranch and he called our ranch Oak Ridge Ranch. Okay. And so my dad passed away several years ago. And when my husband and I bought this property, it reminded me of my childhood home. Yeah. And so I was like, what? I can't call it Oak Ridge Ranch. There isn't an oak tree anywhere up here. And okay. my husband goes, "We're the whole property is covered in cedars. Let's call it Cedar Ridge Ranch. Oh, very cool. Which has been nice, except for we're, we donate a lot to our community. Uh-huh. And it was recently like brought to our attention that nobody knew that was us. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Well, and you, I mean, you have to be like Joel Salatin, because I realized that I in my... I'll refer like on my farm, on my farm, on my farm, but I don't say on my farm, whoopsie daisy farm. And like mm-hmm. goes on my farm, polyface on polyface farm. Like he really, right. it's, it is polyface. So everyone knows what polyface farm is. 
Yeah. So we, have to, we have to just embrace the obnoxiousness of. I, you know. Well, and for me, it wasn't that I was like, oh, I want everyone to know that we donate. I want people to know that we donate. Like right. I want people yeah. to reach out to us and be like, hey, there's an event. Would you be willing to donate? And yeah. I want to be that person. Like I even, I'm a 4-H leader and I had one of the other 4-H leaders call and be like, hi, is this Cedar Ridge Ranch? Like I would wanted to see if you wanted to do an ad. And I'm like, this is Cody. <laughs> <laughs> she's like oh hi I didn't know this was you and I'm like oh my gosh you know yeah and so and we're opening a farm store in the spring and I'm like people won't even know it's us yeah and so we're actually thinking of changing our name to Hannah Homestead oh okay well I just mean... you know you get the HH and Ron's like Ron my husband he's like what about the pigs we have been selling I was like I know so many people that run their livestock under a different name than their farm name yeah than their farm name so yeah yeah we're thinking yeah, about doing that just because we live really far out of town. So for people to even know where we're at, it would be like, oh, it's the Hanners. Yeah, we'll go to the Hanners place. But yeah, yeah, I, I'm learning a ton about marketing with all of this, which, you know, like you get into Homestead to not have to market and not deal with numbers and not, you know, do all this stuff. And then if you're actually going to be sustainable, you're like, oh, snap, I have to like budget and do bookkeeping and marketing and all these things. So much. So many things. Get out of doing by this lifestyle. It's like, um, so yeah, a friend of mine is like, marketing is never subtle. You have to be really, really blatant and obvious. So Mm -hmm. I'm trying to, trying to kind of get back into that space mentally. Yeah. You know, you know, it depends on where I'm at, you know, like if I'm traveling, I'm all about it. Like I keep miniature coloring books in my briefcase and if kids are crying on the plane, I'm handing them out and You know, just those types of things. One, it's just nice to do. And two, it's a really great way to market myself. Yeah. Yeah. On the flip side, I teach like homestead skills at our local Mm co-op. And I was like halfway through the school year. And one of the moms was like, wait, you wrote this book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I did. (laughs) I'm like, apparently I didn't do a very good job of marketing myself here. But I mean, that wasn't where I was trying to market myself. I was just wanting to teach the kids, you know? Right. Well, and it's one thing where you're with your friends. So you don't, you don't want to be like, oh, and by the way, you know, Uh I have something you should spend your money on. But on the flip side, I don't know. I want to support my friends when they're putting out Mm -hmm. books. So it's like. You know, when I find out they're doing something really cool like that, I'm like, why didn't you tell me? And like, well, we didn't want you to feel like I was trying to just, you know, push a sale. And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like we're, I'm, I'm trying to relearn how to just celebrate with people and like overtly Mm -hmm. celebrate people's successes. And it's like, I think that's a really beautiful thing about kind of our homestead community. Yeah. And I say it like ours, it's kind of this whole, not even just the creators, but I mean, there's a lot of us that are creators but I feel like everybody's like we see each other more as colleagues than competition because we all have our specialties. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I don't, I, I don't think I've ever come across it. Like there's been one or two people who I'm like, I think you think I'm competition, but I'm not. But for the most part, Mm -hmm. out of the hundreds of people I've met, it's been like, Oh, how do I support you and uplift you? Because we all know we're, we either hang together or we hang separately. I mean, we really, I think, get that on some level um yeah especially especially after recent events it's like oh gosh we really have to help each other out because um yeah but my friend from Cameroon was visiting and uh she was 
going through culture shock and so making some comments on American culture that was less than positive. And I was like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. There's the homesteading subgroup. We're a subgroup in this people. We're a sub people group. The homesteading movement has hope for America. Yeah. And she was like, so she was asking me like, so what is this homesteading people group? What's like, what are the traits of this, you know, unre- or this unknown people group? And I'm like, well, we're nice. And we cook food from scratch and we think critically and we really value common sense and we're cool hurting each other's feelings because it's like yeah you bought cornish crosses they're not gonna lay eggs suck it up and either butcher them or go get different chickens or like you know i'm sorry if it hurts your feelings that you named a cornish cross but she's gonna die (laughs) so you might as well eat her (laughs) you know but like and other groups would be like oh you named that cornish cross fluffy that's like they would be supportive of your emotions of what I'm saying. And in our groups, it's like, no, they, she needs to know that she made a Yeah. You know, I think we're just a little more realistic. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say is, mm-hmm. we're, you know, we're well, I was thinking about, you know, like, yeah, we had a bunch of replacement hens, you know, they were pullets that we'd raised on at the house. And then they went up to the barn and my son went to feed one morning and he's like, Hey, one of them broke their legs. So, uh, I went ahead and dispatched it and it's in the sink. If you want to clean it, mom. <laughs> And I'm like, gee, thanks. <laughs> Hashtag farm kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I, I have a four month old, so I'm curious once he gets to verbal walking age, the things he's going to come and be like, this is just normal. Whereas, you know, for my husband and I, where we didn't grow up on a homestead, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my gosh, this thing happened. But well, you know, I wish I would have got this on video. It was so sad, but my son, my <laughs> he went up to the barn with my husband yesterday and they were gone for like an hour. I didn't know what they were doing, you know? And he comes home and he's like, mom, I had the best day. I'm like, yeah, what did you do? He's six. Okay. And he's like, I went and fed with dad and I found my favorite chicken Goldie and I carried her around. And then we went to the store and I got to ride in the bed of the truck on the way back. (laughs) I was like, wow he's like it was the best day Aww. <laughs> I was like, that was so cute I think there was even more to the story oh the dog rode back there with him and he thought that was pretty cool okay well that's that's pretty hot stuff yeah we just got a truck we've we've only had SUVs okay yeah so I, he's I, getting to like experience truck life and okay. rural life together for the first time so he's Aww. pretty <laughs> yeah, we have a Ford Focus and a rendezvous that was my grandma's going to Florida car and now it is a farm vehicle and looks at me and says just let me die and I'm like no no you have to haul sheep yet so don't don't die yet yeah that's my sequoia we still hunt in it and it's got 360,000 miles yeah that's about what we're at that poor little rendezvous like only one window works the passenger front door you can't let yourself out on the inside someone mm-hmm. has to let you out and but it'll well, even even so, our new truck, see how I use quotations, it's yeah. a 2000 and it's, you know, it's a flatbed and it's, it took us, oh, it took my husband a good couple weeks to get it all in proper running order, but we needed something really bad because the Sequoia was on its way out and then I didn't have a car because that was my daily mm-hmm. driver mm-hmm. and my husband had would drive our Suburban, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, Pinterest with six has, kids we needed lots of room oh yeah you need yeah 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 Pinterest has done nothing for my internal pressure on what a homestead ought to look like or the homestead ripples <laughs> ought to look like but then you actually talk to people in this lifestyle and they're like yeah no that's not 
reality. So yeah, no, like there's Cornish crosses running free all over my property right now that are like, I actually earlier when I was waiting for you to get on the call, I was watching two of them fight in the yard and I found one in my garden and like our hen, our egg layers have become free range, unfortunately. And they have all decided that right in front of the driver's side door of my car or the back porch door is where they need to just chill. And if you're in the homesteading life, you know what that means is a lot of poo. So I'm like, huh, I think we got to revisit this whole free range chicken thing because yeah. I don't know if it's working. <laughs> I don't know if it's working out. Yeah. My front porch was a little rough for a minute. Yeah, I was like, run these creatures out of here. So now they're living out in the sheep pen. So there you go. Yeah. I, I think know. there's a couple of things that I think you kind of have to go through in order to be a real homesteader. Like you have to brew chicks in your house at some mm-hmm. point in order to be a real homesteader. Like if you don't have a baby critter of some kind in your house for an alarming length of time, you're really, it's like, are you really a homesteader? Like, do you really, are you really in this? But yeah, we've definitely done the like, I think we did. Oh, we've definitely done the like, I think it's time to get these birds out of the brooder and out of the house because they're (laughs) almost butcher size. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we did that a couple of times. but I, would say like, I mean, you, it's you have like, to go through your goat phase. Yeah. So we were really blessed. We were entering into the goat phase and then our starter herd got lost in the ether. That was the March, 2020 lockdown. Ah, so Providence kind of intervened and let us skip the goat phase and That's we went straight to sheep. So that was <laughs> now, now we're like, that was nice. <laughs> you know, we're, um, almost 10 years in and just got our first lambs. So. Okay. Well, but we're only going to, we're doing like the butcher a couple of lambs every year and not yeah. raise sheep. Like yeah, that's yeah. not something we're interested in at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Lambing is it for me, it wasn't as bad just cause like I'd studied midwifery and I was in it for, you know, the milk. So I just kind of had that mental thing of like, well, this is just part of it. So let's go. But I know a lot of people who are like, we don't want to raise sheep. We just like lamb, we're going to eat sheep and that's where we're at. And that's fine. Yeah, I, you know, I worked in the sheep and goat unit in college. I grew up in a very sheep heavy rural community where I worked with them a lot. And I just know that that's not something I'm interested in. And I mean, if you know, you don't, you're not a sheep person, don't get sheep because yeah, <laughs> they'll test you to the limits of your decency. So yes, yes, they will. <laughs> my, my husband who had never been around sheep, like we got our first lambs that were actually, they were just underweight 4-H lambs that like, I wanted to make sure the kids still got a good price for. So I way overpaid for them. Okay. Um, and then, you know, we're just going to butcher them and put them in our farm store in the spring and some of the meat will come to us. But I wanted to have a little bit more of a variety in our farm store. Yeah. And uh, we got like our first ones and my husband, like within the first 24 hours, he's like, are all sheep this stupid or just this one? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I would contend that not all sheep are stupid, but you do have examples of stupidity in pretty much every species. So, you know, this is true. So I I was just like, well, what answer are you looking for exactly? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of sheep, let's hear a little bit about your homestead. Okay. So we are a, uh, eight and a half acre homestead in, in central Kentucky. Um, so beautiful there. 
I, I like it. I actually grew up in New Mexico and California. So I, my husband laughs at me every spring when it turns green, I'm just like plastered against the windows when we're driving. I'm like, it's green. It's green. There's trees, there's leaves. And he's like, yes, like every spring. I'm like, you don't understand. You know what? I grew up in Northern California, which does get green in the spring. And I still am in awe of it every year. So yeah, that makes me feel better, but <laughs> I, I just grew up around a lot of Brown. So green. <laughs> And then flowering trees, I was like, this, there's flowers on trees. Oh my gosh. So yeah, we, we like it. So we're in central Kentucky and, um, we have dairy sheep. So, um, I grew up learning to knit and do some spinning and that kind of stuff. So I kind of always wanted sheep as part of my, you know, life experience somewhere down the line. And, uh, then when I was in Eastern Europe, I learned you can actually make cheese from used milk. And so it was just kind of this idea in the back of my mind where I was like, yeah, I'd like to try that someday. Like, you know, when we're retired and have time and all that kind of stuff, but we ended up doing Funny how the, life works out. I know. Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, the, the homesteading thing kind of happened about 30 years earlier than we thought it was going to. So, um, then it, you know, the lockdowns happened in 2020, I got two sheep. I was stuck at home and bored and lonely. And I'm like, you know, what the heck, I'll just see if I can get some milk from these here critters. And I did, and it was delicious and life has never been the same. So you know, I, I would like to say that I always knew that milk from sheep was an option, but I didn't. <laughs> yeah. um, I even grew up in a really sheep heavy area. Like I kind of mentioned earlier, I mean, one of the biggest like rangeland research facilities was in the County I grew up in. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of my sheep shearer friends do events there every year and stuff. Like it's a pretty big thing. And, um, yeah, I didn't know about it. I went to college. We never talked about it in college as an animal science major. Mm -hmm. And then one of my friends, she had a herd of Shropshire sheep. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it was like a heritage line that, um, yeah. a vet that she worked for had like raised for years and she inherited a bunch of his sheep and stuff. And, um, after college, like, she's like, oh yeah, I got this job at a sheep dairy. I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> I think we need to have a talk about how things work. Right. <laughs> they don't have sheep dairies. You mean goats. Yeah. And so she's like, well, bring the kids down one day. I was a single mom in college. So she's like, bring the kids down. I'd love to, you know, give them a tour of the dairy and stuff. And we went down and then she took me to the store down the road that sold the, um, cheese from their dairy. And I loved it. And I was just... I've never really followed through with any type of, I have to apologize. My, I'll have that edited out. I was waiting on a call from the freight guy. And so my assistant has the phone out in the living room, but it comes through here. Oh no, that's totally fine. <laughs> All right. Let me just put 25 men's phone call. I have a whole pallet of books coming in. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And apparently he can't find my house. So ah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I never really pursued anything with sheep dairying, but I just, I felt more empowered knowing that mm -hmm. that was out there. Yeah. So, um, so how, I mean, you've taken, you've really gone a long way with this since, you know, sitting at home during the pandemic, trying to milk a sheep. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you want to tell us more about your sheep dairying experience? Sure. Um, so, so we were supposed to get a herd of goats. Uh, we were supposed to get, okay. I, sh I guess I should back up. We had joined a Amish herd share to get raw milk 
Um, and mm-hmm. we got an A2, A2 Jersey raw milk and, uh, something happened with their cows. So we had to go to a goat herd share and we were drinking goat milk and, you know, it was still great. We actually noticed, um, more health benefits from the goat milk than the cow milk, but there was no butter fat in the, in the goat milk. And we really wanted that creamy, yeah. you know, just that nice creamy whole feeling in your mouth, not the skim milk type feel that mm-hmm. the goat milk had. And, you know, goat milk gets very goaty after a couple of days in the fridge, even when it's mm-hmm. probably handled and everything. And so, um, I was looking for a breed of goat that had butter fat in it. And I stumbled across the San Clemente Island goat breed, which is a critically endangered breed. Mm. Um, and they have really high butter fat. And so that kind of got me looking into, you know, heritage breeds and critically endangered breeds. And I just kind of got the, you know, critically endangered breed bug. Um, so, yeah. you know, and, and just looking into the heritage breeds, which is, we're kind of going down a bunny trail here, but no, I totally get it because we discovered that Hereford pigs were American heritage breed and that's our purebred line of pogs now. So, okay. Yeah. So you get, I mean, you just, you, if you get bit by that bug, then it's mm-hmm. just kind of a very slippery slope because we still have our commercial herd. Cause I mean, we go through like 300 piglets a year, but that's our purebred line. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I, I just noticed they were the, the heritage breeds were hardier. Like they were better mothers. They had better foraging instincts. You know, they had less tendencies towards all the issues that makes farming such a headache and all that kind of stuff. So I was mm-hmm. like, well, you know, we're not, we're not going to be putting out hundreds of pounds of meat for anyone or anything like that. So why not do heritage breeds? And I think they're prettier. Um, you know, they're, they just got different coloring stuff. So a lot of times they are. I mean, if you've ever seen a really beautiful um, Hereford hog, they are, or like when they're all clean, that color is like no other color you've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, and you just, there's, if, if you're not in farming, you don't know what we're talking about. If you're listening, like you just, you need to go find a farm <laughs> heritage breed because there's just something unique about the heritage breeds where it's not like been so overbred to produce mm-hmm. one product and so the rest of the animal suffers because of that one product mm-hmm. so, you know they don't they don't really specialize in one area but they do really good in a bunch of different areas which if you're not focused on mass production ends up being a good thing so mm-hmm. um so i was looking into san clemente's i was you know just kind of eyeing the sheep lists of endangered breeds and i was like well i wonder i wonder what's over there like i wonder if there's any sheep over there you could milk per se. Cause I'd, I'd already had the sheep milk cheese when I was in, in Europe. So I had already kind of been thinking like, well, one day I'll milk sheep, maybe possibly. Um, and so I found Gulf coast native sheep and, um, one of the family lines of Gulf coast native sheep had been used as, as a actual sheep dairy in the American South at one point. And, um, I was like, Oh, what? that's cool. You can milk Gulf coast native sheep. You can milk sheep. And, um, but we're going to get goats. Cause I had this weird thought that goats were easier than sheep which is not true. <laughs> so much. Well, I mean, I think they both are pretty like, you know, yeah. some people will gladly exchange the not need of shearing for all the things that goats bring to the table. And, you know, other people like the fact that sheep stay in a friggin' fence where you put them, <laughs> but you have to shear them once a year. So goats are liquid. Like you have to have airtight pins. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, my parents owned goats for like 30 seconds in South Dakota and (laughs) I'm like, okay. Um, yeah, not, not a good childhood experience. I actually watched like a very, very pregnant goat. Like I was trying to get her into like a kidding pen and she wouldn't come to me. I was very pregnant myself at the same time and she took off and cleared like a six foot fence and she was like ready to kid that night. And I was like, you know what? 
have your baby was with the coyotes. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> if you're and that she, nimble, you can escape them. Yeah, right? Like she never, I never made it into that pen. She had her, she ended up only having one kid, but she was in like our uh, livestock wash rack when she had it. And I was just like, I don't even care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think we all have those. I, I, I used to be a very clean mouth person and then we got ducks and I texted my husband one day at work and he read they it. taught you some bad words oh yeah a lot <laughs> I mean because you know duck sounds like some other words and so I texted my husband and he just kind of did a double take and read it out loud to the other officers and they were like oh your wife is not happy right now he's like mm, I guess not I better go get some flowers so she doesn't eat me when I come home so great <laughs> So yeah, so back to the animals. We um so I was looking at the the heritage breeds and, and Gulf Coast natives. I knew you could milk them. And then uh we were all signed up for a starter herd of goats, of San Clemente Island goats, and then the lockdowns happened and everything just stopped. Yeah. So um, so everyone else was panic buying toilet paper and noodles and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, I mean, I can use mullen leaves for toilet paper if we really get desperate and mm -hmm. i mean i can make noodles or we can just go keto like i'm not desperate for that but you know we have eggs we have milk but we don't have a source of red meat um and everyone deer hunts here so mm -hmm. we can't rely on our deer supply because <laughs> everyone else yep. is going to go into the woods so um i went shopping on some farm websites one night just trying to stave off panic and there were these two um, border Lester sheep for sale and they were priced really, really reasonably. And so I called my husband, I'm like, cause he was at work at the time. And I said, Hey, could I, can I buy two sheep real fast? Just like to keep us from starving if the wheels really fall off. And he surprisingly said, yes. So, um, I started doing all this research on border Lester's and in the research, I found that border Lester's had also been historically used for milk. Nice. And I was like, okay. And, you know, just kind of looking at different breeds, I started noticing that, there would just be this blurb of, oh yeah, Cheviot sheep were used for milk historically, but then it would just kind of move on. And, you know, uh, Blackwash Mountain sheep were that way. Um, you know, long wool sheep were used for milk at some point. And, there, you know, there are more and more sheep were used for milk mm -hmm. when I really got into it, but none of them were used for milk now. There was no more information on it. And I was like, well, this is weird. Like, yeah. why isn't it milking sheep now <laughs> you know like, what though at the same time coming into the homestead world as a previously like working in ag uh -huh. you know we got our first dairy cow which was our well we bought our first dairy cow before COVID hit okay but then our second dairy cow was we got our stimulus checks and I saw these people buying like purses and stuff and I was like <laughs> no what and so yeah we went and we bought another cow but yeah, yeah. So we're trying to set up this homestead dairy and I mean, let's face it, what, three, almost four years ago now, there was no, there was one book out on having a home dairy. Yeah. That was keeping the dairy cow or keeping yeah. the family dairy cow or something. Family yeah. milk cow. I don't know. Yeah. yeah I know what you're talking that, about. but I'm the Yeah. It was like the only book out there. Yeah. And I was really, really frustrated because coming into this from a commercial standpoint, I knew how to care for animals. I, I knew how dairies worked, but right. I had never owned a dairy animal. Right. I grew up on a cattle ranch. Like it was all beef and I knew how to do that. Right. 
Right. And, and so and I'm animals trying to... are very different from dairy. Animals. Mm, yes. It's like jock football player, nursing homeschool mama. That's the difference for those who don't know. <laughs> so. Yes, very much so. <laughs> and so like, I'm trying to figure out how to like keep this animal healthy and alive. And be able to get milk from her. And what do I do with this milk? Because I'm pregnant. My husband has liver disease. Like, are, do we trust the raw milk at this point? You know? So what are our options for pasteurization? And I mean, on down the line, and there was zero information out there. Yeah. Like I felt so lost trying to train. I mean, I don't know if it was a transition from an agriculture mindset to a homestead mindset or just learning about dairy cows or just in the first place. USA mindset from you get food from the store or mm-hmm. the fast food restaurant, if you're really, really typical to, I am going to not only grow it myself, but grow it in a way that it's nutrient dense. Cause I came into homesteading from a nutritional therapy slash slash herbalist perspective. So I wanted to do everything chemical free. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about there being no literature. You say you want to raise sheep naturally. <laughs> you are yeah you are something else that was just that constant battle for me I'm like okay I know that they need to be wormed yeah but can I drink the milk if I worm them I mean I was just going through this whole like and there was zero out there there's so many wonderful books out there now oh yeah but at that moment four years ago there was next to nothing yeah I I remember feeling that way it was more like six or seven ago where I, rem- yeah. I remember like just googling you know how how to you know organically grow a tomato and you know all these Which, you know I grew up ranching and hunting and having a garden and stuff my husband and I did that we started homesteading about seven years ago, but we got our first milk cow four years ago, which was when we were like, which you know it is a it's a it's a total shift. Like like I said, we had pigs that we raised every year. We hunted, we had a garden, we had chickens, but to really go from this that I'm doing right now, yeah. nobody can see me, but I'm like, <laughs> this that I'm doing right now has to somehow feed us completely when currently it was like a dozen eggs a week and a pig once a year. I mean, that wasn't Right. That wasn't feeding us. That was just supplementing our food supply in a way that felt very sustainable to me before I was like, oh, wow, we're those type of people that hunt. We always have meat in our freezer. Right. Well, and I, the year before the lockdowns, um, I had, I had this herbal pantry of all my, my bulk herbs. Cause I would buy the mm-hmm. herbs and make the herbal remedies that way. And I was FaceTiming a friend of mine And she's like, why do you have this cabinet in your kitchen full of dead plants? And I said, well, that's my medicine cabinet. She's like, why do you need a whole cabinet for, for your medicines? And I said, well, okay. If you think about it, like I don't go to the store every other weekend to get a bottle of Tylenol. Like I have to order Mm -hmm. my year's supply of medicine for this. And she was like, but why? Like, but why do you have to do that? And I was like, well, because my liver can't handle Tylenol like a normal person. And she's like, mm-hmm. well, then just get ibuprofen. Like it was, it was kind of like, yeah. at that point I realized how removed, you know, because when you're the one doing the research, you don't really like, you're not keeping track of this is how my brain is changing. This is how my worldview is changing. You're just kind mm-hmm. of going, oh, you're going to please guide me in the right way. So I don't poison this by accident, but we're already getting poisoned <laughs> with whatever's going on with whatever health crisis we're trying to stave off. So you're just kind of in that war zone. And then you, it's like, you wake up one day and go, I am such a weirdo. How did this happen? And all your friends are going, we tried to stop you. You would not listen. Right. So, well, you know what though? I had someone recently tell me like food prep isn't even on my radar. 
how is it not on your radar? Yeah, especially like, after the last three years. Yeah, that was just, I mean, that was somebody who said this to me really recently. And I was like, how is that not even a little bit on your radar? Like, I can understand, you know, and I was even writing about this recently, that there's a lot of people that are getting complacent again. There's a lot of people that are trusting the system again. Yeah, well, it's like they but went, phew, that <clears throat> happened, it's done, we're moving on now. <clears throat> and, and, and I, because I've talked to my husband about this a lot, because I mean, I have some friends where it's like, did the last three years not happen? Because you're just, you got a new job, you got a new car, your kids are now in school, or you pulled them out of school, and now we're going back to the way things were. And I'm like, how, how do you, how, how do you go back after what we saw happen? Like it happened here in our country, like these things happen. And and my husband said, they didn't, they didn't get scared enough. They didn't see, you know, they, it, they didn't get put in that place where they had to choose. And yeah. I think for those of us who either had previously been put, I see you. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to be subtle. <laughs> okay I usually have a child doing the same thing so okay <laughs> all right well the, the child is currently not doesn't know where his hands are yet but uh yeah um, <laughs> that was awesome <laughs> I was like why is the thing oh there's a person there <laughs> um but yeah I think people you know I don't even know I'm like dumbfounded by it because yeah. you know like you know Joel Salatin he calls it the homestead tsunami And I mean, yes, like I almost see like homesteaders as like their own political party at this point. Well, apparently if you're in a really liberal, liberal location in our country, the word homesteader is synonymous with like crazy conservative, they're the enemy politically kind of thing, which I just think is funny because I know plenty of homesteaders where I'm like, you all do not vote the same way I do, but that's okay. You know what? We're, (laughs) we're doing constitution with our 14 year olds right now. So you should have heard that conversation, but (laughs) (laughs) I kind of wish I'd have been there for that. You know, Um, like at co-op, my kids are doing debate and they got to pick debates that they want to do this year. And my daughter was like, I want to do real foods versus commercialized foods, you know, like, or big ag versus small ag, you know? And like, she's like, not everybody was too excited about it, except for my twin brother. He, he, he's, but he says he wants to be on the big ag side. <laughs> and you're like, you traitor, how could you? <laughs> I'm like two children raised in the same home. <laughs> yeah. But he is very, very obsessed with crop farming. He's okay. just very, very intrigued by it. He really likes the equipment, kind of a standard 15 year old, 14, 15 year old boy sure, sure, thing. Sure. So, I mean, if he's going to be interested in mechanics and equipment, at least he's still interested in agriculture. So I'm going to, okay, right. I'm going to accept it. Like, well, you can, you can encourage him like down, you, you can have row crops, just do no till and you know, release ladybugs, not toxic chemicals. Um, <clears throat> the problem is um, he's high functioning autistic and he only wants to farm in straight rows. Like, okay. I, that, I, could, see the appeal. I could see the appeal to the high functioning autistic. So, you know what though? I was just like, that's great. If you want to do your debate on that, Savannah can do hers on real food, food, small ag, that type of thing. And you can do yours on big ag and I can help you both study for yeah. that. And that's going to be really fun. Yeah. And I think, so, that's, I think that's wise parenting. Like I'm logging that away for if we get to bad things. We just, right. you know, like we're like, oh gosh, is he going to want to be a pharmacist someday with my son? But then it's like, you know, that that's okay. He just has to be an ethical one, <laughs> which, you know, but, like, you know, this kid loves his raw milk. So I think yeah. we're going to have a, 
a balance there somewhere. It, you it's going to be so interesting when this current generation of children enters into society yeah. and what they do, because they've had such a unique experience with just the last couple of years. I oh, mean, yeah. I mean, my husband's already, he's an SRO at our local middle school. And he said he can tell you exactly which kids were part of the lockdowns and out of school and which kids came before and after the lockdowns and just behaviorally how they interact with him, yeah. and teachers and the other kids and stuff. And he's like, oh, this is going to be interesting once they all turn 18. <laughs> and, yeah. Oh. But, you know, like I was saying with the homestead tsunami thing, for me, it's been like such a learning revolution. And not just for me, what I've seen of people. And then to be so surprised that there are still people out there who didn't bother to learn during all of this. Yeah. And I think that the way humans handle fear or unknown or, I mean, because I've heard from so many people, like, I can't believe this happened in America. I can't believe this happened in America. And, you know, I was in Eastern Europe um, about 10 or 10 and 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. So like they were still there. They, they still are, but they were really, really still at that point transitioning from, you know, a communist country and brainwashing into, you know, now let's try to enter the free world and just seeing like what led to those slippery slopes and how like they're trying to climb out of it, but the, the mental blockage and defense mechanisms and that kind of stuff, like, I guess it, it wasn't as hard for me to see these things happening in our country, just because humans are humans are humans. And you know, with something as scary as a virus that we we don't understand, we don't know where it came from, we don't know how to, or at least we're being told we don't know any of these things, you know, how how are you going to handle that fear? For some people, it was like, you said, stay home, we'll stay home. We won't talk to anyone. We won't see anyone. Yeah, blinders on. And I will binge watch Netflix. And then when you say I can go out back to my normal, I'm going to go back to my normal. And then others of us went, well, hang on. If a virus is a virus and it's a respiratory virus, and, you know, we just kind of went, mm -hmm. well, there's this and you're saying this and I know also this to be true and the math is not mathing, you know, then you just, you're changed as a person, I, I think, mm -hmm. so, you know. Well, in my, I have anxiety and one of my anxiety calmers has always been research. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So every major issue that's happened in my life, that's how I have dealt with it. Mm -hmm. And. I don't know if that was a good thing or not. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm the daughter of a one PhD and like five master's degrees between my two parents. So I mean, for me, see, I'm like, you can never over-research something. Ever. Oh, see, my dad was, <laughs> my dad didn't go past eighth grade education, but he was an entrepreneur. Okay. Yeah. yeah like, so. I mean, he owned three shipyards by the time I was born in a very successful ranch. Wow. So, you know, and then like, I was talking about my dad the other day and my husband goes, gee, I wonder where you get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, my mom, she has an associate's degree that she didn't even get until she was, I don't know. I was out of high school at the time. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm like the, I'm the only one in our family who has gotten any type of education. And I just, I dig and I dig and I dig and I look back on it and I see that my dad did that, but he didn't necessarily have the, tools to be able to do that in the same way yeah. um you know because he didn't have he passed away seven years ago so even at that point he was even still learning how to use the internet at that time you know yeah and but I remember him just he'd get on a tangent and he would just study and study and study everything that he could find yeah, yeah. and 
so I see that about myself too, but it's been a positive because it's, you know, led me down some really wonderful paths. Yeah. I think it drives my tanker husband crazy because he was in the military and he's just used to being told what to do. Yes. My husband's a police officer and he's like, Mm -hmm. we can turn our brain off now. Like I'm going to go to sleep. And I'm like, but there's these different avenues in this thought process we could take and he's like or we could go to sleep after we turns our brain off so I mean it's good we've uh, well, even like each other my assistant it. showed up to work this morning and she's like I was up all night thinking about what happened and my <laughs> my husband was was like you lost sleep over your job and like even her husband was like you lost sleep over Cody's business <laughs> <laughs> she comes in and I told her like, don't lose sleep over my business. But what were you thinking? <laughs> Is that something I should know? <laughs> yeah. Do you have amazing ideas? <laughs> right, right. So, so, I mean, you can understand this. So I'm, I'm like researching these, these sheep just cause I'm, I'm getting these breeds. I need mm-hmm. to know everything there is to know about these breeds. And they all have these, these roots in dairy somewhere, but no one's doing dairy. No one's milking sheep. No one's mm-hmm. talking about sheep milk or whatever. And, um, I, at that point, all I knew was that it made really yummy cheese and it had butter fat and you got sheep and sheep meant you had wool and wool meant yarn and yarn meant happiness. So I was like, there, what's not to like here. Right. <laughs> so we, um, we got our first two border lusters and then we got our stimulus checks. So we got, I think six more sheep after that. And two were dairy crosses. Um, three were Gulf coast native. Our, our Ram was Gulf coast native. And then we had, um, the border lesters and, you know, we just had this really hodgepodge of, of breeds put together and I bred all of them and decided all of them were going to get milked that spring, which gave me a really unique perspective because they all had different udders and lactation cycles and teats and butterfat content. Like the milk looked different with each you oh, wow. um, and do all of them have they have shorter lactation periods don't they than like the standard dairy or cow or goat or cow yeah so sheep in america typically lactate between six to eight months if you go to europe you can maybe get up to 10 months but we don't have those okay here um yeah because, um politics and importation and blah, 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 blah. So, um, we, we don't have purebred dairy breeds or dairy breed associations at this time. The Awasi breed is trying to form an association. Um, and then there's the Clune Forest breed, which is a dairy breed and they have a breed association. There's also, they're also a endangered breed on the livestock conservancy, but it's funny because I found Clune Forest breeders and I'm like okay so what's your like do you milk them and they're like no we just have them for the wool and I'm like but there's a jersey cow of dairy sheep you should milk them and they're like okay simmer down um so so anyway I would just post on Facebook on these sheep boards like you know here's the milk I got from my border lester here's the milk I got from my gulf coast native and it gave me this reputation as if you want to milk sheep, that's who you go talk to um just because I was talking about it and and, you know if you milk sheep, you don't really talk about it because you you got a lot of crap tip at that point just because it was mm-hmm. weird. I mean, if you want to get milk from a small ruminant, you milk a goat. That's what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I found out historically there was this whole big thing with the cattle industry and a lot of actual like intentional trying to move sheep dairying out of, you know, mainstream. Well, ad- I mean, even sheep in general, like I was looking at some statistics the other day and we had something like. 50 million sheep in America, like not even a hundred years ago. And now we're down to like 5 million or something like that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's everywhere, but a lot of that is like 
you know, wool has been demonized or at least, you know, why would you have, why would you want a high maintenance wool sweater, quote unquote, when you can have this perfectly nice nylon sweater that you just throw in the wash and don't have to worry about. And, you know, all these mm-hmm. convenience things. We've been sold convenience for the last hundred years. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Which I mean, side note, since we've started wearing wool in the winter time, we don't get sick nearly as much. Nice. Um, so there's that little plug for wool. <laughs> I could talk, I could talk wool as much as I talk milk, but we're talking milk right now. So, um, and so you milk hair sheep, right? Is that what I was reading? No, I don't. You can, oh, okay. hair sheep. My, okay. all my sheep are wool. I, I, I have been told by my editors to be nicer to hair sheep. Um, but when I grew up, goats had hair sheep had wool. So, so I do wool sheep. Um, but you can milk wool. You can milk hair sheep. Um, they have a much shorter lactation time. It's kind of look of the draw with their udders and teats. Um, and if they're, I, I've, I've heard, mm-hmm. I don't, I've heard that the hair sheep are a little bit more feistier to milk. Cause I was um, wondering about like the lanolin getting in the milk and stuff. No, that I've not had a problem with that. Um, I mean, and to be honest, like there's this misnomer that lanolin affects the taste of the meat as well. Mm-hmm. And I have not found that to be true in the slightest. I will eat a lamb chop from a wool sheep. Like I actually had a friend who wanted to get into raising sheep and she was like, well, we need to do hair sheep because of the lanolin. And I was like, okay, hold on. Cause her kids also wanted to show sheep. And I'm like, that's not going to work in our County just cause we don't do like a, not yeah. what she was wanting to do, you know, market yeah. sheep. And I was like, that doesn't work, you know? Yeah. And so I did like hours and hours of research for her to see how she could avoid this issue. And I'm like, I find nothing like just yeah. be careful when you're skinning, you know? It, yeah. It, it's, it, it's not a problem. I mean, so the reason, the reason why, again, the reason why we have this misnomer is, and someone's probably going to accuse me of being racist, but I'm not intending it that way. The Hispanic people prefer the taste of hair sheep. And there was a you know large, large tracts of land down South where they could run these sheep and do it. Well, and, I mean, they've been running them down there since like the Spanish conquistadors came in. So, right. So, I mean, there, and there was already there what they're used to. Right. Well, then and there was already market with those demographics and they wanted the hair sheep. So we're going to mm-hmm. give you where the money's at. Um, and I don't I'm I want to find out why, but there's this like. Horrible reputation that mutton has like, oh, no, if your sheep turns into mutton and it's because of the lanolin, it's so terrible and blah, blah, blah. And if you know, it has a flavor to it but if you cook it right it's just flavor it's not putridity well, and i wouldn't even associate that with the lanolin because i mean i wouldn't want to eat a five-year-old steer i want to eat a 18-month-old steer they're just going to taste better exactly and i i haven't found like no one's taking ownership of why why there's this huge you know vendetta against wool sheep meat or lanolin or anything like that oh, funny. But it, you know it, it's like when you actually go and try a border luster lamb chop. It's just delicious. And it's like, what, why, why? Um, so, I mean, some breeds of sheep never turn into mutton, like Gulf coast native, they don't turn into mutton. They taste oh, just wow. as good at 10 years old as they do a year and a half. So that's interesting. I'm, we're trying our sheep for like, that I mentioned for the first time this year, because my husband wouldn't eat lamb <laughs> after spending three years in Iraq. Oh, okay. He's like, I got sick too many times. I'm, I mean, he wouldn't eat. Yeah, yeah. I, he still won't eat strong like goat or sheep cheeses. There's a few like he'll do like soft goat cheeses if I cook them into something, but he doesn't want. And so he finally, a friend of ours, um, she catered a dinner at um, 
Josh and Carolyn Thomas's house, the homesteading family. And we went out there for the dinner with Joel Salatin and stuff. And she had smoked lamb. And she's like, she stood there and waited. She's like, I'm going to wait till you take a bite. And he's like, I don't want to. She's like, you're going to take a bite. (laughs) And he took a bite and he was like, holy cow, you converted me. This is amazing. And he let me buy two sheep this year. So, I mean, not that he lets me do anything, but you know. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the thing is, I get less flack for it because, which is, which is, which is good. (laughs) I mean, and the thing is, it's just like, you know, you can't, you can't raise heritage breed chickens for me. No, you, yes, you can. You just have oh, to cook it. Yeah. You have to cook it traditionally. And, well, you know, and when us being hunters, it. you know, those heritage breeds don't taste any different to us because as hunters, we've always eaten a game year animal. Right. right. I mean, so if you can cook game, you can cook mm-hmm. these heritage breeds and it's, it's fine. Um, and some, I mean, we prefer it at this point to the more conventional commercial flavors oh after being pork raisers now like our kids they won't eat store-bought pork at all yeah they're just not they're like what is that like why is it that color I can't eat I can't eat regular bacon now it's way too sweet I'm like this is not how pig tastes this Mm -hmm. is wrong my Um, kids straight asked if they bleach the pork chops just like they bleach flour on for like bread yeah they're like why are they they white do Do they bleach them (laughs) like do they bleach pork like they do bread and I'm like I don't think so <laughs> like I could be wrong I mean they could well, I know they but... bleach chicken like if you get chicken from the store it's typically typically run through a bleach bath so maybe they I don't know well I don't know I don't know I, I, don't know. Like, I mean I used to work in food safety and a lot of foods were bleached it was the concentration that and I still use bleach in my own kitchen so but like are they bleaching it like doing the like because I mean they use bleaching like, gas and all sorts of other stuff to like turn flour white yeah. Well, so like are they are they doing that to pork chops? Because like our pork chops are red. They look like beef. Well, nice. And mm-hmm. I want I want your pork now. You're like, I want to come up and visit you and have some of your You should. You know, there's a homesteading conference that is now happening in Idaho. Nice. And we did we started it in well, I say we. Um, I had no part in it. <laughs> well, I spoke at it, but um, I think I saw that advertised. And yeah, I was like, Melissa K. Norris put it, okay, it yeah, was the one yeah. who put it on. And um, it's really exciting because so many of us on the West Coast travel out to the East Coast for the conferences. Yeah. And now we're having them out here, but I really hope that that doesn't make it where people only stay local. I really hope that means that some of our East Coast friends come yeah. visit us out here. Yeah. Well, I mean, if y'all invite me and. <laughs> I have a place to stay. I'll come my, talk about hey, me. My door is always open to my homestead okay. friends. So okay, all right. Well, we may have to. I've actually never been. You're in Idaho, right? I've, uh-huh. I've actually never been to Idaho. That's one of the very few states I've not been to. So oh wow, to. we're going to be coming through Kentucky twice this year for HOA. So <laughs> oh well, you should stop by and see the sheep. So right, that would be awesome. Well, we'll talk at HOA. So okay, all right. Sounds yeah. Good. So now that we're starting to talk about HOA and our conversation of there's no resources out there, I heard a rumor that you have a resource now. I do. You can pre-order my book, The Guide to Homestead Dairy Sheep at sawdustpublishing.com or whoopsiedaisyfarm.com. So I... Uh, wrote a book. It was supposed to be a very short pamphlet that I could just bang out in a weekend and print in my home printer and staple together. And then I realized there were some gaps in my knowledge. So I started researching and it, we all know how that goes. Yeah. It turned into this monster and it got to the point where it was 300 pages and (laughs) this was like, stop, stop finding information. (laughs) So, um, 
Yeah, Janet. Hey, I wrote a 300 page book with a 200 page workbook. So yeah, I mean, the struggle's yeah. real. Like, you just get passionate and words flow and what mm-hmm. do you do? Um, but yeah, so it's, it's the guide to homestead dairy sheep. So it's, it's not really a book on like, if you want a commercial dairy, it doesn't tell you how to do that kind of setup. But yeah. I mean, from what I understand if you, if you want to set up a commercial dairy, the setup's kind of the same thing. This is more specifically towards you know, small homestead animal husbandry of sheep. I have a whole chapter on the nutritional profile of sheep milk. Um, I have a whole chapter on training sheep. Um, I address, I address the misnomer that sheep are stupid. They are not stupid. They just have sheep psychology. And I had to get on my editing team and I was like, no, I, I mean, sheep psychology. Like I mean that. Okay. <laughs> so, um, we talk about the different breeds. We talk about ram management, lamb management, um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I joke that I had twins this year cause I turned in my manuscript on May 16th and went into labor May 17th. And now the book is, that gone. was your body saying I'm done. I can relax now. Exactly. And then it really <laughs> relaxed. So, um, yeah. So, so my promotional picture, when I get my hard copy finally, is I'm going to have my baby on one knee and the book on the other knee out in the sheep paddock with the sheep behind me and be like, look, we had twins this year. So, oh my gosh, that's so cute. I am looking forward to it. <laughs> so, um, you know, what kind of, I know you said you started out as a pamphlet, but what's, what was your vision in bringing this forward for everyone? Well, I, I, didn't realize I knew as much as I knew about it. I mean, again, like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't in this to start anything. I was home bored. I wanted good sheep milk cheese. I couldn't find any at the store. So I was like, Hey, I'll just make my own. And I also didn't want issues with lambing. I wanted healthy sheep. I didn't want sheep that looked to die or her killed over dead. And so like, for example, this last year, uh, I was great with child. My husband was working overtime. We would come home and there will be lambs in the paddock no issues lambing. They just popped them out. They were healthy. That's wonderful. So, and I mean, you, you know, knock on wood and probably next year will be terrible <laughs> just because we were given some extra grace this year, but you know I, what though? I, we don't keep pigs around that we have to help Pharaoh. Like right. all of our pigs have like a three strike rule. If yeah. you have trouble farrowing three times in a row, if you kill piglets three times in a row, or if you get too aggressive, what, none of our pigs are aggressive, but if they get aggressive at like farrowing time, they get three chances and they go to freezer camp. So I I need to, I need to call you sometime and talk about farrowing because we have American Guinea hog and Kumi Kun crosses and they both, we, we bred everything this year. We bred the wife, the cow, the pigs, (laughs) everything had babies. And we had friends going, we are not letting our wives come to your farm. It is way too fertile. Um, but, (laughs) but we had, we had our two pigs Pharaoh the day before or during the polar vortex that came a month early. You know, when pigs Pharaoh, they, their gestation period is three months, three weeks, three days, okay. three o'clock in the morning when it's negative three. Okay. Yeah. So, so, and we asked everyone, cause we don't have electricity to our barn. Like, are they going to be okay? And everyone said, oh sure. The pigs will be fine. Just put lots and lots of straw in the paddock with the mama pig and all the piglets. And we, my husband found piggy pancakes every day for a week. And so out of 13 piglets, two survived, and we had a butcher one way too early because she decided she was going to be free range and electric fence didn't really bother her. And my husband's like, I don't know if we're ever going to raise pigs again. I'm like, okay, we gotta, we gotta do some research. (laughs) So you know what? We have a sow that's getting ready to farrow any day now. And her last litter, she had 17 and killed 16 of them. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, but 
we have 10 sows. That -hmm. is not our normal story. Yeah. This sow is huge and she comes from commercial lines. And so we were like, her first litter, no, her first two litters were great. Uh Then her third litter, she killed them all. Well, she is huge, like huge, huge. She's probably pushing a thousand pounds. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so we, instead of having her in one of, we don't do farrowing crates. We do farrowing pens, which we always end up losing one or maybe two, but you know, um, we, all right, we we're having her pharaoh in the uh our nursery pen this time, which we call it our nursery pen, which is where I put all the piglets when they are weaned. Okay. Which we built a new pen this year for fair pigs. So now I have another pen I can use for nursery. So we put her in there and it has an old farrowing crate built into it out of an old walk-in cooler. Uh-huh. And so it's, you know, really um <clears throat> insulated, but she doesn't she has way more room in there than she had in the other one. So we're going to see if maybe it was her size that got all the piglets. And we even put up like, we put up a wall. So like, like with a hog panel, so the piglets could get away from her. And like, it was just disaster the whole time. Yeah. So she's going to get another chance. Um, She's kind of one of those ones where she may not get three strikes this. She might only get the two because she's so big. Like, yeah. Yeah. She's just not real manageable at this point anyways but if we can get her where she has 17 piglets and keeps them all alive then she's worth her stay you know right yeah I know and and that's I think again part of the homesteading mindset is you have to constantly be reevaluating. like you know I I actually have a guide on my website on making the decision on how and when to call oh okay yeah yeah like you know just it's not always about taking them into the back 40 and shooting them, you know, like, right, right. yeah, yeah. There's I mean, lots of options. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes even if it doesn't work for our homestead, it might work for another homestead. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Sheep where they make amazing field sheep. They're not milkers. There's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with them. I mean, if yeah. you want some good ewes, we'll raise healthy lambs and have a nice fleece. They're your lambs, but they, they don't want to be milked. And so we're like, yeah. okay, well, we're going to get some replacement use out of you. And then you go to another farm because you've got great genetics. You just don't want to be dairy sheep. And that's fine. Like they're not a dairy breed sheep. So yeah. Are they all hand milked or is there an option for machine milking them? Oh, you can, you can machine milk them. We just, we, we try to do Dave Ramsey and Homestead and eat completely clean, which is, I could write a whole book on how futile that is, but we try. So we didn't buy. Yeah, no, I totally get that. We actually, <laughs> when we decided to buy our milking machine, we did the budget on how much it takes away time from our other endeavors. Yeah. And with, uh, sometimes we have three in milk at a time and it just makes more sense to machine milk yeah. them both financially and you know. Yeah. And if we, so far we've only produced sheep milk for ourselves, but were we to go into any kind of like herd share mm-hmm. situation, it would definitely be more worth it to. Yeah. When you, you can justify the, the cost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. With your pigs, if you don't have um, heat in your barn, mm-hmm. I would say, make sure that you are doing timed breedings okay, so that they uh, um, have their piglets at least late winter, early spring. Okay. All right. And that's really going to help. Yeah. Um, because I mean, we've had um wonderful sows that always keep their piglets alive. We had, um, you know, Pharaoh, it, it was negative nine that night. <laughs> and even with our heat lamps and walls up and everything, I had two of my boys out in the Pharaohing crate with a sleeping bag, like laying almost on top of her 
to help keep her warm because she was just like convulsing, oh. she was shaking so bad. Oh, wow. And she ended up losing like half her litter. Yeah. And she was normally a really good mom. So yeah, the cold just, they don't. They yeah. Don't we do have that. a really hard time here because um, all of our fair pigs have to be born in January. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So, you know, we have things in place where usually we're okay, but sometimes we're just not. So I would say, well, if you don't, yeah, if you don't have heat to your barn, either breed them later, or if there's an accidental breeding, maybe look at having her pharaoh in your garage or something. It's, I, you know, I hear of people do that a lot. Actually, they'll bring her down for pharaohing once the piglets are a couple of weeks old and they have a little bit more fortitude, then they just walk everybody back to the barn. Okay. All right. Yeah, because we yeah. keep pigs for um, parasite management for the sheep, actually, because yeah. the pigs eat the sheep poop. And so it's mm -hmm. another natural barrier to yeah. parasites, which you got to love it. There's so, you know what? We actually we don't um, feed our chickens a lot in the winter. We let them free range around the barnyard uh -huh. because we have a really big covered barnyard. And uh -huh. so they, you know, eat all the bugs and the mice and they, the grain that my kids spill. And then they actually go out and they eat the grain out of the pig poop. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So very dual um, salad. Right? <laughs> Maybe I'm just lazy in the winter. No. <laughs> There's that too. <laughs> like if you don't provide for me, I'm not providing for you and we'll just work it all out. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's where homestead ingenuity comes from is you're like, I don't want to do that chore. So what animal can I get to figure that out for me? Cause... Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually a really good system for us. Cause I think they're, I mean, I've even had them start laying again in the winter and stuff. I think they're probably getting better nutrition during that time. Yeah. But then I just really bulk them up in the spring once they start regularly laying again to make sure all their needs are met. So, yeah. yeah. But um, as we're getting to the end of our time, my favorite question for everyone is what does keep growing mean to you? Well, I think it's just keep learning. Um, you know, and that can be, that can be on any level that can be learning as a person, you know, learning, you know, a skill, a trade, or just learning about your environment or learning about yourself, or I, I think growing is learning. I love it. So remind everybody where they can find your book or where they're going to be able to find it. So for pre-order, it's at sawdustpublishing.com. Okay. And my website is whoopsiedaisy.com. And if you're international and want to order the book, um, you can contact me um, on my email, which is whoopsiedaisyfarm at gmail.com. And we'll work out international shipping for you. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to seeing you at HOA. Yeah, I can't wait. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, please head over to your favorite podcast player and leave a comment and review. This helps me to know what you're enjoying and helps others find an episode that can help them. Thank you for joining me today at the Homestead Education, and I hope that I have given you something to think about this week. To help others find me, please comment and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also follow me on Facebook at the Homestead Education and Instagram at Homestead underscore education. Do you have questions that you would like answered or just want to say hi? please email me at hello at the homesteadeducation.com. Until next time, keep growing.